Would you turn with me, please, in the book of Acts? And would you turn with me to the 13th chapter? I want to read to you in its entirety this place in Scripture, which is Paul's message to the people. This is perhaps the finest message that you and I will will ever get the opportunity to read, one of them. You know, in the book of Acts, we have had the privilege of coming across some amazing preachers of the Word of God, from Peter, Philip, Stephen. We've seen the words that they've said, but now comes upon the scene here in the 13th chapter is Paul, who I consider to be one of the greatest preachers that ever lived, apart from Jesus Christ, of course. And here in the 13th chapter of the book of Acts, he comes in front of these people and he presents them the hope of life. And we'll try to explain it as we go along, but I'm just going to sit with you right now and just read through this message. And let's just try to take it in. Start with the 14th verse of the 13th chapter of Acts. It says, Going on from Perga... They arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After reading the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent them, saying, Brethren, if you have any words of exhortation to the people, say it. Paul stood up, motioning with his hand. He said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers, and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplift arm, he led them out from it. And for a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. Verse 22. After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. From the offspring of this man, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. But behold, one is coming after me, the sandal of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family and those among you who fear God, to us the word of this salvation is sent out. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written written concerning him, they took him down from the cross 
and laid him in a tomb. But, verse 30, God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. The very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. That God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. And he was laid among his father's and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Verse 39, And through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Take heed, he says in verse 40, Therefore, so that the things which are spoken of on the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers and marvel and perish. For I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Paul is saying to them in those last couple of verses, don't be a people who hear the word of God and scoff at it. Don't be a people who hear the things of God and refuse to believe. Don't be that person he is pleading with them. God has given you, he said, a Savior. This Savior is none other than Jesus Christ. Open up your eyes, he says. Look at him, he says. Believe and trust in him, he says. And so I plead with you today. I'm going to show you the things of the Bible that we have been preaching here at this church from the very beginning of this book of Acts. Sometimes in our being naive, sometimes just trying to be obedient, but really not grasping it all. And all of a sudden, as you go on studying the Bible, word after word, line upon line, things start to fall into place. And so we come to this magnificent sermon by this magnificent man named Paul. I pray with all of my heart that tonight, if need be in your life or in my life, it will not fall on deaf ears. But we will, as Scripture teaches, open up our eyes and open up our hearts so that we might behold wonderful things from the very Word of God. Let's pray. Father... I, with all seriousness, take this as a a crossroads, if you would, for us as a people. A crossroad, if you would, Father, to to hear and to respond to the things of God. We have been as faithful as I know how, Father, in preaching the word here. And now we hear it right from uh, 
your most wonderful apostle by the name of Paul. And so, Father, may we take a a close examination of these words that he has given to us. And may we deal with them in each of us in our own lives. Move me aside, I pray, dear Father, with all of my heart. I do not mean to be presumptuous, dear Lord, but would it be that we could kind of hear from the heart of Paul, actually from your heart, dear Father, to ours? As we've already prayed, would you open our eyes in our hearts so that we might believe and not scoff at the truth that we see from the Word of God. I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. How much did Paul long to preach? Well, I I want you to look with me at first. Hold your place here. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16 for a moment. I'm going to make, I'm going to reason with you. I'm going to reason with you the heart of Paul. But not just Paul. Jesus Christ made the same statement as Paul. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, he says, If I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. Because, he says, I am under compulsion. Woe is me, he says, if I don't preach the gospel. May I very, very... How do I say this? May I say, the best I know how, I understand that. I understand that verse is probably as much as anything I can understand in the Word of God. To preach the gospel, what in the world could we boast of? If we have the ability to teach, if we have the ability to preach, if we have the ability to do something within church that gives us the privilege of proclaiming the word of God, what do we have to boast of? Nothing. But I understand the compulsion that runs in the heart of Paul. Woe is me, he says, if I don't preach the gospel. I understand that. I understand it. For us to take a vacation, for me to get away... It, 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 it tugs at my heart to go away from here because I'm jealous to try to tell you and teach you about the words of God. I understand what Paul is saying somehow. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, when Paul got older and he was discipling this young, young preacher who was going to come along after him by the name of Timothy, he says in 2 Timothy 4.2, his call to ministry upon the life of Timothy. But, but when you and I read these things, we cannot read this as if it were for Timothy alone. No, on the contrary. This call is not just to Timothy, but it's to all pastors or people who are going to teach the Word of God. We are all called to purely and simply, as Paul said to Timothy, preach the word. Second Timothy 4.2 Preach the word. We do not have the right to just preach anything we want to, nor do we have the right to go haphazardly from here to there to wherever and preach whatever we want uh, to, the, to the people who come before us. We have the privilege and we have the obligation, we have the duty, the responsibility. We have been commanded to preach the word. 
He says to Timothy, be ready, Timothy, in season and out of season. Reprove the people who come to you. Rebuke the people who come to you. Exhort the people who come to you. And with great patience, he says, Timothy, instruct the people who come to you. Jesus made this statement. Please don't turn there. You can, can, of course, it's in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, but I'm going to read it very quickly. And then we're going to go back to Acts chapter 13. But Jesus said to the people, I must preach the kingdom of God. He says, I I was sent. I I was sent here for that purpose. And when I see that in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, I think to myself, if Jesus Christ must preach it, how how much must we preach it? If he considered it important, what should we think of the word of God? What should we think about the things that are written in here? It's everything to you and me. Everything. We must be a people who are continually devoted to the teaching of the Word of God. Must be. I want you to see what is perhaps the two most amazing verses that we could come across in talking about this. It's in the book of Amos, in the Old Testament. Amos Chapter 8. If you can find it, wonderful. Amos chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. Listen to the warning that was given from God through Amos to the people. But not the people of that day. To the people who were coming in some day. And if you do not think that these are written for our our times today, I, I don't know what to say to you. Amos, chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. God says, Behold, days are coming. In other words, Amos, it's not right now. There are days that are going to come. Days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine for bread, not a thirst for water, but rather a famine for hearing the words of the Lord. Verse 12 says, People will stagger from sea to sea, from north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. That's happening in churches across the United States today. I know I preach on this too often. And I'm going to back off a little bit, but, but when, it's, when it hits us straight between the eyes, we must look at it. Because there are churches across these United States of America that have, have just put aside the Word of God and, and tried to make the gospel a social gospel, so to speak. Something that is easy for the people that come there to, to take in. So it doesn't offend If I've warned us once, I've warned us hundreds of times. You and I, this church, we are called for a purpose. And that purpose is to preach, to teach, and to learn the Word of God. Acts chapter 13. With that in mind, Paul does not compromise. Like Peter, like Stephen, like Philip, he calls them to repentance. You see, true salvation is a call to repentance. Repentance simply is to turn. To turn away from the way you are going and to turn towards God. 
Now, in verses 13 and 14, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark are on this missionary trip. For some reason, we'll find out more later, John Mark leaves both Barnabas and Paul. It is such a a time in the life of Paul that he disrespects uh, John Mark after this. On the next trip, he wouldn't even take him with him on his journey. If it wasn't for Barnabas, John Mark would have not won favor back with Paul. Later in Paul's life, John Mark and Paul are again very close. John Mark changes his life. In verses 14, 15, and 16, which was a practice in those days, and it was certainly a practice of Paul, he would go into the synagogue on the Sabbath because it was customary for anybody who was visiting, any teacher or rabbi who was visiting that synagogue, that the the people in the synagogue gave those visitors the right to address those who are in attendance. And so in verse 16, Paul speaks to, you'll note, men of Israel and you who fear the Lord, you who fear God. In other words, he has just brought into this message that he's going to give the Jews who are there as well as the Gentiles. The Jews were the men of Israel. Those who fear God were the God-fearing Gentiles who also were in the synagogue. In other words, everyone. Everyone, listen, he says. You'll see at the end of verse 16, listen. That simply means to listen with care. What I am about to say, he is, he is telling them, is of great importance to you. Listen. Now, there are two main characters that Paul is going to mention in his message. Basically, God the Father, and of course, Jesus Christ, His Son. Although Jesus Christ is only mentioned in verse 23 one time, nonetheless, His life, the life of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ is the major theme in Paul's message. What he is saying is, Jesus Christ will give you the hope that you don't have. The hope that they did not have. Let me jump ahead and let me just read it to you. Look at verse 38 and 39. Therefore, he says, Let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, talking about Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And, verse 39, through him, through Jesus... Everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. In other words, there was a point that you couldn't get past as far as the law was concerned. Jesus Christ came to break down that law and to bring you freedom and to bring you salvation into the kingdom of God. He is going to do what no one else can do. He is there to give them hope. Paul is saying when he starts this message that there is a purpose in your life. Every one of us has a purpose in our lives. And this purpose will come to the climax when the Savior comes. And he says, I am here, we are here to proclaim to you that the Savior has come. 
And Jesus Christ, who is the Savior, wishes to give you what you could not get through the law, eternal life, the forgiveness of your sins, hope, hope that no one else can give but he and he alone. Listen to the logic, the logic of Paul's message. Without the forgiveness of sin, without hope, if there is no hope for mankind, therefore you might as well say, let's eat, let's drink, let's be merry, because tomorrow we die. We are without hope. But from verses 27 to verse 39, Paul tells them, the scriptures speak of your hope, and it's Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, there are many, myself included, Paul says, who can give you witness. Look at verses 31 and 32. After it says in verse 30 that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and he says in verse 31, For many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem to the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. He is saying, this hope that you have, even though you did not see him, he rose from the dead. He is alive, and you today have hope. What the law could not do, Jesus Christ did for you, he is telling them. But he says... Look at verses 27 through 30. There are some who denied him. They nailed him to the cross. They executed him, he says. Look at verse uh, 27. Those who lived in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read in every Sabbath. In other words, the things that they read from the word of God, they didn't listen to. They didn't believe they fulfilled what was written in here by condemning him. You see, the Old Testament said that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was going to have to go and die for the sins of this world. And he said, because they didn't believe, they condemned him through what was written in here. It was going to happen. And though, verse 28, they found no grounds to put him to death. In other words, he was innocent as a dove. They still asked Pilate to execute him. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and they laid him in a tomb. But, but, verse 30, God raised him from the dead, never to die again, never to decay. The hope that we have in Christ. Therefore, their fellowship with God that was broken by the fall of mankind, way back in the garden, and then the, the fellowship that was broken because of their own personal sin was restored when the Messiah came. He delivered them from the bondage of their sin to give them hope. Again, look with me again at verses 38 and 39. Therefore, he says, let it be known to you, Listen to me. Let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Jew and Gentile alike. He has broken down that barrier. You have hope. And through him, verse 39, everyone, Jew and Gentile, who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed 
through the law. Jesus does what the law could not do. Now, Paul presents Jesus Christ as their long-awaited Messiah, but first he got their attention. And the way he got their attention was addressing a topic that was very dear to all of the Jews that were there in the synagogue, and that was how God cared for Israel. Verses 17 to 22, he talks about how, look, he says in verse 17, The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers, made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. In other words, he separated the sea. They walked right through the sea. They knew what he was talking about. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. And then he told them about the prophets that were to come and, and, the, and the king. They wanted a king and he gave them Saul. And then from Saul, David came. And when he mentions David, he mentions in verse 22, after he removed him, talking about Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Now, some of you that know scripture should question the label of David being a man after God's own heart. Thank God for David. Because David was guilty of much. Probably more guilty of anything you and I have ever done here in this, this sanctuary. David was a coward. His cowardice made him not trust in God. David was an adulterer. David was a murderer. And God calls David a man after his heart? Look with me, please. Look at 1 Samuel. Find the book of Samuel first, and then we'll look at 2 Samuel as well. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 21. I'm going to read you this only because I get a laugh out of it. It's not, not by... Well, I'll show you what I get a laugh out of. David fled. He... David was a courageous man in front of Saul. I mean, he was, he had the courage, he killed, they, they used to sing, David, Saul kills thousands, well, David kills ten thousands. He was a warrior. But he runs off to this land, and he fled from Saul, look at verse 10 of 1 Samuel 21. David arose and fled that day from Saul. He went to Achish, the king of Gath. The servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? It says in verse 12, David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, the king of Gath. David had no reason to fear that king. As long as he trusted in God, he had no reason to fear that king. So it says in verse 13, David disguised his sanity. He acted insanely in their hands, scribbled on the door of the gates, let saliva run down his beard. David, when Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman, why do you bring him to me? And this is why I laugh. Can you not hear the king saying, Do I not have enough madmen in my presence that you have to bring me another? I love that. 
I mean, I just love. Do I lack madmen? I can almost hear King saying that. David acted as a coward because he didn't trust in God. A man after God's own heart? Look at 2 Samuel now, just to the right. Look at verse chapter 11, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. David, the man who killed his ten thousands while Saul just killed his thousands. David, this warrior's warrior. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. It happened in the spring, it says in verse 1, at the time when kings go out to battle. Number one, David was still in Jerusalem, or wherever he is here at this point. Yes, he was still in Jerusalem. David was supposed to be with his men in battle. He didn't go. It happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed in Jerusalem. David didn't go to war where he should have been. Now, it says in verse 2, When the evening came, David arose from his bed, walked around on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful in appearance. Across the way from David's place is this, this woman Bathsheba. She's naked as a jaybird. And she is beautiful. And so David sent, verse 3, and inquired about this woman. And, and they told him, this is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife, the wife, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. David sent messengers, took her, and when she came to him, he laid with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanliness, she returned to her home. David, a coward, not trusting in God. And now David, an adulterer, a man after God's own heart? Hmm. Look at Second Samuel now, chapter 12. Bathsheba becomes pregnant. David's between a rock and a hard place right now. He calls Uriah, her husband, back from the battlefield where he should have been in the first place, David. And he calls him back and he says, how's everything going on the front? How are we doing in the battle? Uriah says, we're doing pretty good. Ah, he says, I'm glad. He says, uh, let's have a bite to eat, have a couple of drinks, and go home, see your wife. You've been out there on the battlefield for a long time. Uriah would not leave David's doorstep. He slept by the doorstep all night. Because Uriah says, I cannot go and sleep with my wife when the men that I am with are battling out in the field. See, David wanted to get a few drinks in him, have him go home. What's he going to do? David's already seen Bathsheba. He's going to sleep with Bathsheba. He won't even leave his doorstep. So what does David do? He sends him back to the front line. He says, I want him right on the front line. I want him charging right in front. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9, the Lord says this to David, David, you have despised the word of the Lord. You've done evil. No, excuse me, the Lord did not say this. The prophet said to him, 
you have done evil in God's sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Yes? Ladies and gentlemen, I just read to you on purpose some of the things of David. He was a coward who didn't trust God. He was an adulterer. And he had the man, the husband of the woman who he slept with, killed so that he could take her without him being around. What made David? What made David? What made David a man after God's own heart? I ask you, with this one single truth, we see that David saw his sin when he was confronted with what he did wrong for what it is, a separation from God. His sin separated him from God. And he repented from it. You see, a person, you and me, a person who is after God's heart is not a perfect person. There is no such animal on the face of this earth apart from Jesus Christ. He is the only one who is perfect. And he, in his perfection, went to the cross to die for you and for me so that in our imperfection, we can become, if we will repent, if we will listen to the Word of God, we can become people after God's own heart. Hope. You see, a person after God's heart is a person who repents from their sin. A person after God's heart is a person who trusts God for the forgiveness of their sin. No matter the size, no matter the depth, no matter what you have done, God will forgive you if you turn to Him in repentance. If you ask Him for forgiveness. And that David did. Turn with me. Wait, one more time. Let's read what Paul says about this one called Jesus Christ. You're in Acts chapter 13. Look again one more time at verses 38 and 39. Therefore, Paul says, Let it be known to you, brethren, that through Him, through Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And through Him, through Jesus Christ, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Now, as we close, turn with me, please, to Psalms. That's in the middle of the Old Testament. Psalms chapter 32. Psalms chapter 32. This psalm was written by David. David writes in Psalms 32... Verse 1, how blessed is the person whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the person to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David writes in verse 3, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. 
The vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Verse 5 says this, I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. 1 John 1.9 tells you and me, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all, not some, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, salvation is not a denomination. Folks, salvation is not religion. Folks, salvation is a relationship that you can personally choose to have with Jesus Christ. And He and He alone. And through Jesus Christ, you will have hope like you've never had in your life. And that's what Paul was telling these dear people in Pisidia, Antioch. He was saying to them, You have, through Jesus Christ, what no one else can give you. I've come here, Paul says, to tell you that you have hope. You have eternal life. You have salvation. You have the forgiveness of your sin. All you need to do is believe. Everyone. Anyone who believes, will have the forgiveness of their sin. That is a hope that those people never heard of. I told you we were going to close, and you probably closed your Bibles. It's okay. We'll look at it next week. But let me read. Let me tell you what they did. Listen to these people after Paul gave his message. Listen to what they did. Oh, I lost my pen. Okay, I find it. Listen to what they did. It says, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging him, begging him that they might speak of these things to them the next Sabbath. They wanted to hear it again. They wanted to hear that good news again. They wanted to hear that over and over again because it seemed like it was too good to be true. They invited him back. Paul, what a preacher. He came back. You know what happened? The religious leaders of that day became jealous of him and plotted to kill him. (laughs) Wow. You don't need to raise your hand. I want you to think for a moment. Do you have a hope? Do you have a hope that goes beyond anything you had ever, ever dreamt of, that your sin might be forgiven regardless of what it is? More than likely, none of us here have, have... been so cowardice that we didn't trust in God, although maybe we did that. But more than likely, nobody here has committed adultery, but maybe we've done that. More than likely, none of you here has killed anyone, but maybe you've done that. And the reason that I believe that Paul explained that David was a man after God's own heart was so that the people could realize that if he forgave David, there's a good chance he'll forgive me. And so whatever it is that you have done, whatever it is that you and I have done, 
if you would love to have your sins wiped clean, turn to Jesus Christ. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin. Ask Him to make you into the person that He's created you to be anyways. As Paul warned those people, so I warn you, don't scoff at the Word of God. Take it in. Marvel at it. Accept it. Allow Jesus Christ to be in your life what He has come here to be, and that is your Savior. To forgive you of your sin. And to give you a hope. I'm not going to ask you to come forward tonight. I'm not even going to ask you to rise. But where you are seated right now, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, today, February the 24th, is it? February the 24th, 7.15 in the evening. Saturday, February the 24th, 7.15, mark it. You can ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart to forgive you of your sin. And you have the promise from the Word of God that He will cleanse you and give you everlasting life. And you, like Him, when you die, can go to be in heaven. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I am going to ask you to pray with me, though. You don't even have to bow your head, by the way, if you don't want to. Praying is just a conversation with God. From your heart to His heart. Maybe you've been here this evening and there's something that you've done that you just feel has been haunting you for days, if not weeks. Quit carrying it. Like David, don't let it keep draining you of your vitality. Let it go. Give it to the Lord. Ask Him to forgive you and repent. Cleanse yourself of it. Confess your sin. He'll be faithful. He'll be just. He'll forgive you of all unrighteousness. That's for those of us who know the Lord. If you're here this evening and you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, this is the perfect day to do it. February 24th, the year 2007. If you don't know what to say, you can simply say the words, Jesus Christ, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Cleanse me. Make me into the person that you've created me to be anyways. May I walk with you. Father, we thank you for the privilege of the message that Paul brought to these dear people. Many believed. Some of them walked away in their unbelief. May that not happen here. May each of us deal with whatever sin there is in our life ask you for forgiveness and gather together the hope 
that we have because of Christ. Hope that goes beyond the law. Hope that is a personal relationship with you. Our will connected to yours. Thank you, Father, for this time that we've had together. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. I love you all so much. Have a wonderful night.